Before we get back to today's show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. And a full 360 view of every customer. So your go-to-market team can keep up on the pulse of accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast for all things growth, marketing, and entrepreneurship. I am your co-host, Kip Bodner. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Kieran Flanagan. And Kieran, we are coming in hot today for everybody. We are we are pissed at Malcolm Gladwell, first of all, for everybody listening. But we don't want to just go straight to the Gladwell stuff. We want to give you a quick update around <laughs> what we're talking about today. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the future of work and the future of marketing and how those two things are coming together. How how you do the work is going to impact the results of your marketing and your business growth in the future. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be an awesome show. Kieran, with that all being said, we have a beef to pick right from the top of the show. No jokes, no banner. We're mad. We're going straight in with beef. And we're mad at one of the world's most preeminent business authors and thinkers. And we just think he is completely and utterly wrong. And there's lots I could say on this matter, but remote work is your subject. You were doing remote work well before the vast majority of the world was doing remote work. You've learned more about this topic than most anybody I know. So I just want to open the floor to you. What, what do you think about Malcolm Gladwell's take that people should be back in the office? And remote work is bad for society and humanity. So let's get into it. Malcolm Gladwell, <laughs> right? A really successful author. I think he's very successful because he's very good at figuring out trends and putting a why those trends are happening and why it's important, which is why this take is so incredibly bad and misinformed. It's so bad. It's so bad. So Malcolm Gladwell recently came out in the New York Post. He slammed, slammed working from home. What have you reduced your life to if you are working from home? Where is your sense of belonging if you are not in the cramped <laughs> cubicle within a busy office, says author Malcolm Gladwell. Well, Malcolm, let's talk about it. Malcolm like most rich executives, right? <laughs> Calling employees lazy for not returning to their cramped cubicles. He wouldn't choose this for himself. Let's just be clear. He would not choose this for himself like most rich execs. Why? Well, in an article he did with The Guardian, he talked about his work routine. How does he like to work, Kevin? Tell me. He likes to start his day, likes to start his day at home working mm, from his couch. Mm, okay. He likes to visit Italian coffee shops to do yep. a lot of his writing. Sounds nice. And the crux of what he gets at is uh, doesn't like desks and wants to work where he feels comfortable. Don't we all, Malcolm? 
Don't we all want to work where we feel comfortable? I didn't hear the word office or cubicle or anything in there, Kieran. Did you? No office, no cubicle from Malcolm. Hey, that doesn't matter. He wants you back at work. He doesn't need to be at work. Here's another thing. I really want to stress this because I think this is a really egregious point that he made. And I think this is going to be something that employees have to deal with during a recession. Employers should not be looking at the recession as an opportunity to take advantage of employees, right? And I think that's what Malcolm wants them to do. Malcolm wants the recession to drive employees who are sitting in their pajamas, his quote, back into the office. Okay, when do we move past the cliche of remote workers as slackers? Every single study, all of these different studies, Stanford, multiple studies have shown that working from home, remote workers increase productivity. If you are a slacker, you are going to slack off regardless Correct. Uh, of your work environment, right? Work from home, you're a slacker, you're going to slack. Work in the office, you're going to slack, you're going to slack. 100%. I'm, I'm going to pause to take a breath after this one and let you come in, Kip, but I, I wanted to kind of really, really get to this one. Malcolm asked remote workers, what have you reduced your life to? Malcolm, what have you reduced your right into? What have you reduced your right into? You should not be asking what remote workers have reduced their life to. You should be asking, why are they choosing this life? And you should listen. That is why you're a good author, because you listen. Preach. You listen to what people are telling you. You listen to trends. People are choosing this life because there's more time for family, there is more time to health, there is more time to participate in your local community. Is it a good thing that Malcolm distills down your entire existence to where you work in an office? No. Life is about more than that. Remote workers get an extra 30 minutes of daytime uh, daily exercise. They're happier at work. Studies have shown that remote workers increase their employee happiness by 20%. Over 30% of employees in a recent study said they would change jobs to guarantee remote work. Why? Malcolm knows the why because he works remotely. He works remotely. Thud, thud. Everybody listening, that was the bus pulling back over Malcolm Gladwell and running over him a second time because, Kieran, you just ran right over him and then reversed over and did it a second time, my friend. I would actually propose something, Kieran, that here on Marketing Against the Grain, we start something that I would call the Bad Take Hall of Fame. Oh, Bad Take Hall of Fame. Where we place the worst takes of business and society into. And I would nominate the Malcolm Gladwell take on remote work as the first inductee into the Bad Take Hall of Fame. Look, if you are just a reasonable, smart human being, you would say, oh, the way I build a great business is to have happy workers who are productive and I want the best access to the best talent for the lowest cost, right? Like that's that's what you want. If you're just being pragmatic, that's that's what you want. Right. Remote work is the way to get that. And in fairness to Gladwell and, and everyone else who is like the pro office side of things, remote work isn't about saving money and isolating as a person. What it is about is about a better day-to-day modality for working. And I'm taking a second here to try to find a really great counterpoint to Gladwell's tweet from the prolific Jason Limpkin, Kieran. I don't know if you saw this tweet that Jason had. I didn't see his take on it. Jason Limpkin, everyone. I thought this basically sums it up really well. Most startups should spend more on four great offsites a year than one office would cost. Yes. But you got to do it. Distributed isn't about saving money. Right. I thought that 
was like the linchpin point in all of this. That remote work doesn't mean you never meet each other and you don't have any of that in-person time that exists in the office. What it means is that you actually take the best parts about being in the office, the camaraderie, maybe grabbing dinner, brainstorming, working on you know deep long-term ideas, and you push that into concentrated time a few times a year, and then you let people go into a better day-to-day environment to work and execute on that. And I think that's what Limpkin was saying in his tweet, and I think that is very antithetical to the argument that Gladwell was trying to make. Agree or disagree? I agree. I think the other thing is it should not be a remote versus office debate. No, it's not. I think there's optionality. Some companies are going to work better in an office. Some companies will work better remote. The thing that I think we should have an intellectual, honest debate about those two things, and we should move past the cliches of slackers and people in their pajamas and like being out on the beach for three to four hours, because every single study has proven that is not true. Actually, remote workers tend to work more than they do in office because they cannot separate their work environment from their leisurely environment because you're actually all within the same house. And that was one of the things I had struggled with early when I was trying to work remote. And I think to your point, Kip, remote work does not mean, hey, sit in your room all day long and do not meet people. What we should start to ask ourselves is, will we have a better world if our community is made up of more than just our work colleagues. Yes. Historically, it's been made up of our work colleagues because that's where we spend all of our time. Maybe it should be made up of our local community and people we go to the gym with and people who we live near and like all these different things. So it does this kind of stereotypical view that Malcolm has where you have this person sitting in their pajamas 24-7, never interacting with anyone because they work remote. It's just so far removed from what the real world is. Does remote work have problems? 100%. Does working in the office have problems? Yeah, nothing's perfect. 100%. Yeah. Do we want to debate those two things? For sure. But like, let's at least move past the stereotypical cliches about remote work. It's 2022. Like we should just be better than that. And I think that he reduced the entire conversation down to bad cliches, bad, bad stereotypes. And I think what we should be talking about is how do we set people up for success Mm -hmm. in the new working environment, which we're going to talk a little bit about. Like, how do you actually be successful if you are a remote worker or, or you're working in a hybrid environment, like what, what does that look like for you? I couldn't agree more. Uh, Kieran, in a second, I'd love for you to give everybody listening some some practical tips on how to be better in that remote work environment. But before we do that, you were touching on a point that I want to kind of emphasize real quick, which is you were actually touching on a key point around diversity, inclusivity, and belonging. Most companies, most organizations are still not really balanced and diverse teams. And remote work, when those workers are able to participate more in their community, more with different sets of peers, are able to have a more balanced and diverse peer set, which is going to help them think of problems in a much more holistic way. We know that there is research been done time and time again that diverse teams solve problems in a better way way and they get to a better outcome in that solution of the problem. And I think remote work right now, especially where we're at in society, is a better solution to enable diversity and inclusivity and belonging than an in-office environment. So I think for everybody listening, if, if you're a leader, you're running a business, like these are the things that I would urge you to consider. That being said, Kieran, we have a bunch of folks who listen to the show. Huge shout out to everybody who listens every week to us that are working in a remote environment and some things are going well, some things aren't going well. Give us a couple of your biggest remote 
work learnings before we move on to the next next topic of the day? Yeah, I think that there's a couple, right? I think one of the things that remote work does force businesses to do is be much more sophisticated in how they track and document work. Yes, You can kind of get away with it inefficiently in an office because you can just go over and talk to people. And so one of the things you really want to do is figure out your systems and processes to track not only the results that people are having, but like the progress that they are making. And that's a contentious point. Hey, are you going to track me and look to see what I'm doing each and every day? No, but we want to have some sort of system, whether that's like a stand up on a Monday, here are the things we're going to do. And then a stand up on a Friday, here are the things that we've achieved to make sure that it's indicative of, hey, we're moving towards yes. being successful or not for this and every month. So you have to really think about how do I know how my team is being productive? How can I help them? And uh, how do I know if my team has been successful or not? So the other thing that we do a lot of in HubSpot Kip and has come from Amazon and is a real known thing, mm -hmm. but I think really does help remote work is like memoing versus pr presentations. Like memo versus presentation. Why do you do this? Because yes. it's a document. It actually has real strategic work within those documents. Everyone can participate in giving you feedback because you open it up, allow people to give you commentary, and then within the meeting, you ship a decisions, right? Like here are all the things that we had debates on within the document. Let's kind of finalize those and ship decisions. So I think moving towards things like memos versus presentations is much, much better. One of the pieces of advice you give me really early on when I was remote, working remote for HubSpot, leading the team that I think is really good for every manager to really listen and heed because it makes a big difference is how do you become a facilitator? Like as a mm -hmm. job, your job as a manager in a remote environment and particularly in a hybrid environment where lots of people are in office, maybe a couple of people remote, is how do you be a better facilitator within that meeting and yes. make sure that you bring people into the conversation and let them have their say. And that really shifted for me because I used to be very vocal, used to always be the one kind of giving my thoughts, but actually I transitioned to actually my job is to make sure everyone else is having an opportunity to give their thoughts. And then to your point, meet people. <laughs> you actually do need to get to know your team. You need to go for dinner with them. You need to do things with them. And as part of that, you need to any one-on-ones and team meetings, you do need to start with some like fun fun icebreakers, yes. different things. Because if you go straight to the heart of the matter, you don't have the transition time remote that you do in person sometimes where you kind of fill in the first couple minutes of meeting, have music, have questions, like things like that actually do make a big difference. You're totally right. Look, remote work does not turn you into some sort of like robot where you kind of like no. work within your pajamas and treat everyone like they're just some sort of Zoom character. You can build relationships with people. We did an acquisition of a company and we did not get to meet that company at that time the hustle because it was COVID and actually no one was traveling. So yeah. we had to build the relationships with all the key people and Sam, the CEO. We had to do the entire thing over Zoom. It was crazy. Was it a little harder because we couldn't at least meet up with them? Yes. Was it impossible? No, it is not impossible. And so you can work remotely, but still have time with people and get to know your team. But you can still do that, as you said, over Zoom and stuff. You have to make time for fun things, for asking, how are you not, how are your programs doing? Like start every conversation with, how are you doing? Not like, how is your work mm -hmm. doing? And simple things like that will actually really help you to be a better manager, better leader. Totally agree. So I think Kieran just gave us a bunch of awesome tips for this, for this section of the show. I would like to congratulate Malcolm Gladwell on being our first inductee into the Bad Take Hall of Fame. Congratulations, Malcolm. You're, you're going to be in great company going forward, but right now you're, you're there alone. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> they're, um, they're all alone. <laughs> <laughs> but that bad of a take, you deserve to be alone in that Hall of Fame for a little while. Kieran. Building on this topic of remote work, 
there's a lot of things that happened over the last several years with the pandemic and the economic rise that really changed how leaders, managers, built teams, led companies. And you found a pretty amazing tweet that I thought think articulates this really well that everybody listening needs to hear because it will inform how they think about their own team and their own organizations. Right. Give it to us. So this is from Ryan Dehini. And I love this tweet. There's a whole generation of managers who came up in the last five years who only know how to scale by added more people. Wow. Drop the mic, Ryan. Wow. You're right. That's 100% true. So true. It's so true. Round of applause. Round of applause, Ryan. You, thank you for stating the thank you for stating the obvious, non-obvious thing. Right. Right. This is going into our kind of hot takes. The opposite of Malcolm. Ryan is in there. Because <laughs> during a tech bubble, we have a lot of headcount. And it's really hard if you were a manager during that time to default to like hire less, more efficiency, more scale. What's what's interesting, I, w- I want to give everybody listening a, a perspective on, on what I think happened the last couple of years. You had a bifurcation of the economy. You had companies that were deeply accelerated because of the pandemic, and you have companies that were deeply decelerated or had a really t- difficult time in the pandemic. And what's interesting is those companies are, are emerging now with different sets of problems. If you work or had worked in a company that experienced a bunch of growth and a bunch of acceleration, you're in what I call the growth hangover stage right now. You have so you had so much growth happening that you threw people at the problem. You know, to reference Ryan's tweet, you didn't build systems, you didn't build automation processes, things to help you scale. And now, because you were just trying to hold on for growth, it was actually nobody's fault. But if you're a manager, where you will get screwed is if you think this is the only way to do it. You have to say, oh, that is how I had to do it in this really high growth period of time. Now I have to pivot and shift and think about it and do it in a different way. And that's what we're advocating for. Mm. We're advocating for everybody to look at their teams and their marketing teams specifically and say, where can I grow through automation? Where can I grow through through better process? Where can I grow through better outsource work instead of just hiring people and throwing raw humans at the problem? That's that side of the equation. The other side of the equations are the companies that got hit really hard in the pandemic. And these are event companies, hospitality, you know, the, the list goes on and on. What I've seen from them, Kieran, is that they had the exact opposite, right? They really slimmed those teams down and got to the brass tacks of only the stuff that was important. Right. And what's happening now is part of what's causing inflation is these companies in like the event, hospitality industry and others are saying like, well, we now know what it's like to be really profitable and to do like a very focused set of things. And so if you're not going to pay us more, we're just not going to do it because we're not going to do it in an unprofitable way in the way we maybe did two years ago. What I would encourage, which I think is actually very smart on their part, what I would encourage those companies who are recovering from getting beat up by the pandemic to do is say, wow, Let's not go back to our old ways. Let's stay focused and say, hey, we we have this luxury of deep, deep focus. Let's not try to throw people at the problem. Let's not try to like replace that growth. Let's say, how do we grow in like this uber effective and uber efficient way because we have the luxury of doing that now? Let's not waste a good crisis. And so I think everybody listening to the show should follow one of those two buckets. And I think what we're advocating for is if you are a leader, especially a marketing leader, you need to decide which of those two business situations you fall in and basically execute accordingly. What else would you add, Karen? Yeah, I think, look, when I think through this, 
what happens in a time of fast growth, if you are a manager or a leader, you kind of have these three buckets, right? You have these three categories. You have the stuff that really, really matters. You have the stuff that might matter, and then you have the stuff that probably doesn't matter. When you're growing really rapidly and really fast, I think you add headcount in all three. You just have more luxury yeah. to do things yes. that are more speculative. Yeah, that's true. Probably doesn't matter. And I think when you have to become more capital efficient, you actually have to really just focus on the things that truly matter. So yes. if I was going to give like a manager one uh, piece of advice, it's really being able to distinguish between those things. Because I don't think that people are very good at distinguishing between those things. Yeah. Right? That's really good advice. They're like, hey, what truly matters? You might have to make some really hard trade-offs. Maybe that community your CEO wants you to build, uh, it's nice to have. It doesn't truly matter for your growth over the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah. Maybe that event marketer. <laughs> you are crushing event marketers, Kieran. <laughs> I don't know why. I, the event marketers are going to come after you. On I love events. You, at Search Brad on Twitter if you want to slay Kieran for his bad event marketing takes. Hey, I can't do events well, so I, I have a lot of respect <laughs> for anyone who can do them well. But He's backpedaling, ladies and gentlemen. He's backpedaling. So I think that's the big thing, right? I think And I think managers, yeah. I mean, it's a hard skill to grasp because we've talked about this multiple times, because if you do that, you have to take on board more responsibility because you're saying no to more things. And you, if you're wrong about those things that you do not invest in, then that has like bigger repercussions on you. It's easier just to do everything, right? Because like some of that stuff might be important and you might get it right. But when you have to make really tough choices, then you have to get those choices correct. And that's a hard thing for a manager. I think that's what they're going to have to learn over the next kind of 12 months. I love that advice. So, so far, we've given you some perspective on how remote work is going to intersect and impact your marketing and some choices you think and how you should react there. Then we come into the management and scale topic. And we want to everybody to get off that human, just throwing humans at the problem situation that has arisen in a lot of high growth situations. And we want companies who weren't high growth over the pandemic to focus on that kind of core execution and focus growth that they have been doing because that is a real strategic advantage. Kieran, the last thing we want to share with everybody is a pretty wild tweet. I first saw it when you retweeted a tweet and it kind of blew my mind a little bit. It comes from a really interesting habit that Naval Ravenkot, who runs AngelList and is, I would say, one of the modern day philosophers and tech philosophers of our time did. So, so Kieran, you shared a tweet from Sheil Monat, and it said, Imagine not checking it anymore and having an assistant scan your email once a week. I can't. But that is what Naval Ravenkot, who is the founder of Angelist, does. Sheil had emailed Naval, and the response was, an autoresponder that said, I'm not checking email anymore. An assistant will scan this email once a week and handle any administrative matters. If this is important, urgent, and cannot be handled by anyone else, please text message me. React. When you were like reading that, I was like, okay, what's our piece of advice for, like what's our actionable <laughs> advice for people here? It's like, be Naval. <laughs> be as successful and rich as Naval so you can kind of do this. Other than, other than that, I don't know how you, I would love to do this. I can't do this. No, I think, well, I think what we're saying is that like, this is actually not what you should be doing, right? Like this is a very entitled and selfish approach. You don't think that it would be great not to check email? Oh, come on. You would not do this if you could do this? He just has someone take the important things and tell them what they are and everything else gets ignored. I think this is glorious. I want to live in this world, Kip. Well, look, 
it, it's it's glorious from the outside. Imagine if you work for him, though. What he's basically saying, anybody who works for me should be able to handle your stuff. Mm. And if for some crazy reason they can't, and you have to know me well enough to have my personal cell phone number, then you can ask me. It's like kind of disrespectful to his team and his customers, I would argue, right? Because he's putting a ton of burden on the rest of the team around this. Maybe this is just his personal stuff and maybe it's not the angel list stuff. I want to be fair to Naval in this. Could be, yeah, personal stuff. I'm just saying, right. generally, I, I I like being less tied and being less reactive. And I think that is my advice in, in actually in seeing this is that there are a lot of people yeah. who are very reactive to email. Email has taken right. over in our inbox and Slack have taken over our day-to-day lives. And the result for everybody listening is that those those tools force you to be more reactive. You are doing requests from other people versus saying, no, I have a clear set of goals I am trying to achieve and am I doing, taking the actions to achieve those goals, right? And so I don't think you should just not check email at all, but I think you should have a strategy at the frequency in which you check your email and feel, I think it's fine to set expectations, right? Like I think it's fine to say, hey, if we work together, know that it's going to probably take me 24 hours to respond to you because I only check my email a couple times a day because I need big prescribed blocks to move my goals and, and objectives forward. You know, like that, that's my take on this is that I think he is demonstrating the far, far extreme. But if you're somebody listening to this pod today, the lesson that you don't want to lose is that you don't want to become reactive and let your email and Slack messages turn you into a reactive, non-strategic right. leader or worker. You know, all of this pro- productivity nonsense that you can go online and like productivity <laughs> hacks and everything like, you know, you know, yeah, nonsense, he says, but it's so simple. Just plan your calendar. Like literally it's rigor. It's all rigor. Just plan your day. Just put in your Google and like, not just meetings, like actually put in the blocks of work that you were going to do inclusive of email. Yeah. Right. I put in blocks of time where I will check email and slacks then blocks of time where I'm doing work. And if you just stick to that, then that's fine. Right? Because you have the balance between reactive work and proactive work. I think email is not that like everyone is like, Oh, like how do I get an email? Like, email is basically how companies operate, right? It's the operating yeah. model for companies. It is in inter- It is really important. It used to be memos and now it's, yeah, email. it's email. I think Slack is a little different. Slack is a much, much noisier. I think Slack can be much, yes. much noisier. You have to be much more careful. But if I'm giving a people a piece of advice, own your calendar or your calendar will own you, right? Own your calendar or your calendar will own you, which means that you be proactive about planning your calendar and do not let your calendar just happen to you. And that's actually when you get really unproductive, when it just happens to you during the day. I could not agree more. Since, Kieran, almost every episode of this podcast comes back to us talking about food, I'm going to bring food back into back into it real quick. So, so I have a nutritionist. First of all, pro tip to anybody who lives in the United States, <laughs> most insurance plans in the United States will cover you to have a nutritionist for free. You just have to have your doctor refer you to a nutritionist and it's included. So it's not like some like entitled opportunity. It's like actually pretty common in the United States. Awesome benefit. So first tip, go take care of it. But what what I learned over the last several years in working with a nutritionist is that that like rigor around thinking about your day, Kieran, it doesn't have to be that much, right? So like on the food side of things, it's like take five minutes a day before to kind of plan when I'm going to eat what I'm going to eat. But what it shows you is like, oh, wow, when I don't do that, I'm a complete mess, right? You know, like I don't eat or I eat the wrong stuff. And it's like, wow, that little investment of time 
completely changes your proactivity because otherwise your day starts owning you. It's not just your calendar. It's just life. Life starts owning you. Exactly. Life does. The, the thing I would ask everybody to do is like, I'm not a huge process person. I'll be the first to admit. I, I, you know, I dislike rules and process. I know. Shocker. Shocker to anybody who's ever met me. But I dislike rules and process. But I, I, I have found ways where you can do the minimal viable version of that. And part of it is just like taking that five minutes the day before to be like, how is my day going to flow and going to go? Like, when am I going to eat? When am I going to exercise? When am I going to work on my big strategic problems? When am I going to get back to the core people on maybe my B and C level priorities? That, But I do need to like kind of coordinate via email or Slack with those because then you're able to just have much more control and be much more proactive versus reactive. You want to play offense. You don't want to play defense. Yes. Right. Like that is yeah. the that is yep. the big takeaways for everybody here is we want you playing offense and moving your strategy forward. And to do that, you have to take some proactive management of your time. You don't need to do the far extreme like Naval did, right? That's we're not advocating for that. What we're advocating is for a micro version of that. When I don't plan my calendar, <laughs> it is actually pretty hilarious. Like I I lose the ability to like work and like what am I totally. meant to be doing? I start going on Twitter and I'm like, oh God, I'm what what am, how do I work again? Like I actually am so <laughs> I actually, I have to plan my I've become such a trait of mine. Like such well, a you'll habit. slack me and you'll be like my day is a mess and I'll be like oh yeah I'm all over the place. The day ate him up today. Yeah I just haven't planned my calendar and it's just like I don't I, I literally do not know what's happening. So I agree. I think that is pretty great advice. We've uh basically killed the entire productivity industry <laughs> by telling you Actually, just one thing, if you just do that, you don't need to, you know, do all these other crazy things that you can buy in courses. Well, it's a reminder that simplicity is very important in life. And you don't have to overdo everything. Sometimes you need to like overlearn something in the beginning to understand what part of the simplicity to focus on. We've talked about that in past shows. We'll talk about it again. But first of all, if you have any tips on working remote or on managing your time, your calendar... We want to see those in our Apple Podcast reviews. Leave that for us on Apple Podcasts or hit us up with them on Twitter at Kip Bodner at Search Brat. We would love to, we'd love to hear those and get your learnings as well. But Kieran, to recap our, our pod today, real quick for everybody listening, we put Malcolm Gladwell in the Bad Take Hall of Fame, first inductee. We talked about how remote work is going to fundamentally continue to change marketing and gave you some really practical tips for building awesome remote teams and having the right norms there. Then we talked about how the growth through the, the last economic rise caused a lot of companies to throw people at problems and created really messy teams. And we advocated for those companies to go back and drive automation and processes. And we, and we advocated for the companies who maybe kind of shrunk during the pandemic to stay lean, stay agile, and stay focused on the core things that they're working on. And then we closed out with a little productivity talk where we don't think anybody should ever be to the Naval side of the spectrum because that seems super, super extreme. But we want you to play offense. We want you to lean forward to control your day-to-day to make sure that you're working on your big core projects and priorities and not getting pulled into reactive mode by email and Slack. Kieran, did I miss anything? What else do we want to leave people with today? 
Uh, that is a perfect summary. I do want to get in. One thing I'm excited for this week, I don't know if you are a Predator fan, Kip, but the new Predator movie came out. And what? actually, it got, it's got good reviews. The first Predator movie, all-time classic. Every other Predator movie since then, all-time terrible. And the new one is meant to be the closest thing to the first movie. So... I'm excited this week to go check out Prey. Okay, so so in a future pod, we're going to get Kieran's Predator review after he sees Predator. Yes, I will stock rank them. And apropos of nothing, Kieran, I will say that like movies are kind of starting to make a comeback. Shh. Like Top Gun Maverick, The Black Phone, Predator. Ah, I watched The Black Phone yesterday. Did you? Was it good? I watched The Black Phone. I, I haven't watched it. It was good. It was good. I heard it was awesome. Yeah, watch it. Watch it. There's some great... I agree. There's some really good movies. Like, movies were terrible for, like, 20 years, and it feels like they're starting to kind of come back. You know, one thing that surprised me, I'll, I'll leave you all with this, a good show on Netflix, uh, Kevin Hart, not someone I find funny. <laughs> me neither, actually. His show, True True Story, which was, like, a serious show where he was... Uh, he played kind of himself, but Wesley Snipes, who's a uh, uh, baller, played his brother. It's yeah. more of a serious show, 30-minute episodes. It's awesome. True Story. Go check okay. that out on Netflix. Shout out. I'm watching The Bear on Hulu. It is a show about uh, a young chef who inherits a family restaurant in Chicago, and it is awesome. It is art on television. Uh, worth checking out. Uh, we're going to close it out with some movie and TV <laughs> corner. But in, in all seriousness, I hope you all enjoyed the pod. Leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, this has been Marketing Against the Grain. <laughs>